Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CEO Cheat Sheet Podcast. Today, I have another episode with amazing guest, Sasha from Webcoda Software Company, which focuses on delivering web development solutions for large enterprises. We're going to start with warming up, topping into Sasha's entrepreneurial journey, learning about the business, and then focus on the CEO cheat sheet, learning more about tips and tricks Sasha can share about his experience. Hello, Sasha. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you going? All good. I have a busy week, but other than that, I'm really delighted to have you as a guest on this podcast. Okay, likewise. All right. So how about we just start from you telling us about your business a little bit yep. more, how you started and why? Okay. So WebCoder started back in 2005. Um, I've got a business partner and we're 50-15. Uh, basically, we were both web developers working for the way, same, same company basically from 1998. I went through a couple of retrenchments and then I started contracting and then I kind of realized... There's just as much security in uh, in contracting and finding my own work as there was um, working for someone else. We started the business, just the two of us. Uh, we we actually grew quite slowly, but I guess we'll, we'll go into that a little bit later. But uh, we kind of, I, I guess probably the interesting part is that when we started, we were quite serious developers before back in that time. And so we were building quite large uh, websites. And I guess the, the two that uh, uh, are most interesting is uh, one of them was um, uh, Moshtix, the um, ticket sales website. I don't know if you know it. It's, it got purchased by News Corp. At the time, it was owned by um, one guy, Hamish. And we had another site, which was called Rent-A-Home. And that was actually interesting because it was a gigantic site. And it actually was pretty much what Airbnb kind of is but it was back it started back like in 1999 really even we actually started working on it when we worked for the previous company uh, and then actually got bought by fairfax and um became part of stays um and yeah look I'll, obviously i can tell you a lot more but i could probably talk for an hour just about the rest of it but oh yeah it's very interesting like i never heard about uh these solutions like rent a home that uh, might proceed uh, like Airbnb, I think Airbnb uh, started from the Craigslist. They tried to have uh, everything there and they just, uh, you know, tearing apart. But I think th these guys just had a great inspiration from tools like that's already on the market, like rent a home. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not sure they saw rent a home, but but it but it really I, it was literally people. It was it was actually slight the slight variation. Even if you read, even well, it wasn't, it wasn't a variation, but the but the but the concept was you had to go through. You still had to go through a, through an agent through a real estate agent, but you could put your, you could basically list your property up for holiday rentals. And, um, and then it, it would hook you up with an agent who would then come take photos, et cetera, of your house. Um, and you could rent it out. It was, it was actually very, very advanced for the time. It's very similar experience, I think, to what we have in Airbnb. And I've been both host there and uh, guests, so I, I can tell. That's interesting. Agent even might be a good addition to that. Cool. And what's your business and personal goal inside this journey of this of building this web development company like what's your business goal now or if it's changed what it was before well I, I think it's actually funny because I was thinking about my journey and and in terms of in terms of being a businessman in general and really I'm my story is almost like the story of someone who should not have should not be in business because I, I didn't grow up at all 
but no one I knew sort of ran businesses really. I wasn't really into money or finance. Actually, we spoke about this just before the recording, but I actually played guitar. That was, I wanted to be a musician. And I got, I got into web development partly because in a way I, I'm, I, I'm quite creative. And I actually thought, particularly at the time, um, building websites allowed you to create and build something. And so I, I guess originally it wasn't even about the money and you could tell by, because we didn't make any money. <laughs> it was really about, I really loved building websites. I just loved the technology and I loved building things. And it was quite, it was quite, it was quite an exciting time at the beginning. I mean, we're talking, you know, I mean, Google wasn't a thing really then. I mean, we were searching on Alta Vista. I mean, you know, before, I mean, I'm, I remember when Facebook came out, I mean, you know, we, we were doing this before, before all these things even came out. I, it, it took a few. It took a few years until a few years later when I kind of realized, oh my god, I probably should actually start thinking about business business. And 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 that's when I that's when I started really getting interested in reading about um, reading about how to run a business um, and you know going to seminars and books and things like that. And that's actually when I stopped becoming a pro. I was a programmer originally. The two of us were programmers. So I guess just to the goals of where we are now. Um, look, I, I in a way I'm quite I'm I'm quite happy with wh what we've achieved. Um, I, I guess probably just a bit of background on who we are today. So there are about there's around twenty of us in the company. Um, we are we were historically in one office in uh, Surrey Hills in Sydney. Uh, obviously, that's uh, COVID changed all that. I barely see anyone in the office anymore. We still have an office there, but uh, we do. But we the kinds of projects that we work on um, worth mentioning. Um, so we work. Uh, I could probably start with the biggest one. So at the moment, we're doing the New South Wales School Curriculum um, website, but we work with the um, federal government, the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare. Um, we do we did the Bridge Climb website. We work with Sony, Centennial Park, Royal Botanical Gardens. So they're usually quite they're usually quite um, big sites and, and applications. I, I guess at different stages, you have different goals, and and, and, and you know, I, in a way, we kind of achieved the goal because I'm. I'm I, we have a very good team who, and a lot of the people have been with us for a long time. So just to be able to keep everyone sort of working and busy and knowing that we build good stuff and the clients like us and the, and the team's a good team, that's already kind of satisfying in itself. But uh, for, for the future, I still, I still do want to, um, I still want to grow it, uh, grow the business. I think, I think being around the 20 mark is actually a bit of an awkward um, size because you're kind of a little bit, it's a little bit too big for, to know everything that's going on, but it's a bit too small to sort of have too many managers manage breaking off into little teams. Which so I think when you, I think actually if we grow a little bit bigger, things actually might even be a little. Then I probably won't have to wear so many hats as I do today. But yeah, the the funny thing about the goals for me, there's a lot of talk. People have goals about you know they have very lofty goals about what they want to achieve. But but really, I, I'm, mine's pretty simple. Like I just, I want to I just want to. I want to deliver a good product for everybody. I want, I, I, you know, product. I, I could never build something that I'm not proud of. Like if if we ever built something that I that I wasn't happy with, I actually, I just wouldn't even charge for that project. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't deliver it. Yeah, I, I, I we just kind of set a financial goal every year, and I think if we kind of make the, you know, make enough money, then that buys us the freedom to, you know, look after our staff, deliver good projects. It means we can, you know, spend extra time. You know, we're not rushing projects out the door, and just and just just have a good good solid business. Really, we're not we're not trying to take over the world. But having said that, if uh, we're we're also working on a side product as well, and if if we were to take over the world, then I, I wouldn't complain either. So, 
That's a very interesting journey you have. As far as I understood, you come uh, naturally to founding the business, enjoying the process in the beginning, being caring by focusing on what you can deliver instead of metrics and goals, uh, as you mentioned, for other companies, which probably lets you create a great reputation because I think you have a pretty successful journey. In the end, you mentioned pretty big brands. You had acquisition of the businesses you have started coding, and then you like naturally grown into, okay, we can do this pretty well. Maybe we can find other people, help them, you know, work with us and capitalize on our experience. Uh, so to me, it, it sounds like all, all the story you should just shared is pretty organical. Anyone who watches this episode will be very helpful to understand that in the beginning, you focus on what you make the best, what, what you enjoy. And apparently people will start loving you for doing that. And this is how you naturally grow. So this is amazing. That's cool. And I think 20 people is pretty good results. I, I can tell that I've been in that situation uh, when, you know, kind of midterm stuff like 20 to 30. Until you get to 50s, I think it's, it's, it's not that crazy. But then like you probably start to see new people you never seen before. That's from my experience. This really, really changes the shape <laughs> of the organization. Well, uh, uh, look, it's all it's all very different now as well. I mean, pe people working remotely. I, I my, my you you were asking about like my day daily routine. I, I, so I I go into the office three times a week. So I go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and just to break it up because just it gets a bit monotonous working from home. At least that that how that's how it is for me. But it's obviously not the same way for all of the my team because I don't I don't see most of them. But it also allowed us to somewhat we've got we've got some of our employees actually moved into state during COVID. Um, we've also hired um, some people from just from from outside of New South Wales, and we're, and actually lately we've been experimenting a little bit with outsource offshoring or not outsourcing really. Um, is it outsourcing? I don't know what the correct term is, but we're we're hiring people in in the Philippines in particular, and experimenting a little bit with that. But I but I'd always want to keep a core team um, local, but I think I think. Part of the fun for me is always experimenting and see what works and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. That's that's an interesting way to explore other opportunities. Thanks for sharing this. And since you touched the daily routine, we have another item in the in this agenda that calls your daily lifestyle. So maybe you can share something that help, uh, like how how your daily lifestyle looks like. You know, do you do like gym or something? How you balance the busy job of the uh, director of the company with the rest of your life. You already shared that you do like three uh, out of five days in the in the office. Um, so look, I'm I'm not extreme. I'm, I'm I am quite well. That's of course that's debatable. My wife would say that I am extreme, but look, I I do like to wake up in the morning. I'm a little bit out of whack at the moment. It's usually usually not too early, quarter, quarter to seven. Um, and I but I, I'm even wearing my Peloton top. But I um I I do the Peloton. I'll do a, a bike ride and a workout. So they've got these uh, what are they called boot, boot camp classes, which are quite good. That you get you get on the bike and you get off the bike, do weights and jump back on the bike. But I also have a personal trainer twice a week as well. So the I'm, so the personal trainer is good. But um, I also but during summer we have a pool, so um, I swim every day as well. The part that's probably a little bit extreme is on on the weekends. I probably when, during summer I might like probably when I wake up I'll probably do a couple of hours of exercise both Saturday and Sunday. But after that, I'll head. To, I'm I'm not in the office particularly, but the way that um the way that we're set up is that we. This is probably something that's a little bit different, unique to us, and some people might think it's a, not the best use of time, but it's worked for us. So at nine a.m. every single morning, um, I have a management meeting. So there's like five of us, I think, in it. It's usually between half an hour and an hour. 
And the interesting thing that we do, which some people might find crazy, is that we actually go through all of the timesheets from every single timesheet entry from the day before. It's, it may sound crazy, but if you think about it, like we, we, we work on, um, you know, on an hourly rate, right? So any mistake in the timesheets, or if I'm able to find an extra hour in the timesheets, so, so we, we generally charge $200 an hour. So essentially, so if we can find one hour from a person who either put the timesheets in wrong or missed some time or whatever, one hour a day of 200 is 1600 a week. It's 80 grand a year, if my maths is correct. And that's one hour. And so having, you know, the four or five of us in the meeting each morning, I'm, I guarantee, because we also then look, because our timesheets tell us how much did we bill from the day before us all. We look at the daily, we look at the daily billables from the day before. And if it's too low, we know we have a problem and we investigate why that problem is. And yeah, it drives us obviously to try and generate more that day. But, but yeah, if we, if we find any missing hours, there's money to be, you know, made all, you know, from that, that would have just disappeared. And also the thing that I found is that if, if I don't catch it on the day, like some people might say, I'll do this once a week, but the problem is it's too late. Well, if you wait a week, it's too late because nobody, nobody can remember what they did a week ago. I, I barely remember what I did, you know, two hours ago. So if you don't, um, so that's why we're on it every single, on, on that every single day. So that's, so we, we actually go through the timesheet. So we try and scan that pretty quickly, make sure, make sure that's correct. Then we actually go through the, um, the schedule of what everyone's working on. So we go, per, so we, we view it by person, go through the list of people and say, what are they working on? And then we go through the list of projects and we make sure that no project has been forgotten, that it's, you know, the status, we update the statuses of each project. So you can see that easily takes an hour, um, but it also allows us to discuss any issues that anyone's having with any one of their projects and maybe someone else has a solution for it. That's pretty interesting. Like the way, the way you just is like ritual to make things under the control. I mean, I love it. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I, I will share something later because uh, we we're kind of tapping into the tools area earlier, but definitely I, I'm curious to know like how you guys do this. So go into the next item. I just want to, I just want to finish the one section in the structured way. I, I really get excited, like how you do this structure day, because it becomes now part of the deliverables you do as a director, like uh, main, main deliveries to make sure everything is in control. You know, everyone has money, everyone's happy in the end of the day. So it makes it very important. So what do you love or hate the most in your business? Can you share, please? I hate. Well, it's easy to say what I hate. I hate the administration of, particularly these days, to win big jobs, you're often asked to fill out a ridiculous amount of paperwork and, and, um, and a lot of the questions are very redundant. Um, we do a bit of, quite a bit of government work or um, some, some of the not-for-profit work. They have, you know, often they have no problem just throwing all these document, documents at you. God knows if anyone even reads them. That's really the part that I hate the most. I, I guess I'm not, you know, after after doing this for so long as well, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm kind of overdoing all the proposals and things like that. But again, this, you know, I, I do try and outsource as much of my work as possible. Like m my goal is to have somebody do all my work for me and me having to do nothing. But having said that, I do find that I, I know everyone says this, and it's still not um, necessarily uh, doesn't mean you should do it, but. Uh, but I still find that if I do the sales myself, that we, you know, we get a better result. So I am still involved in doing all the proposals um, and things like that. But so that's an, that's unfortunately a necessary evil. What and what I love most, um, I think it's the reward of um, 
of creating something that generates, sometimes we're creating a whole business for, for, for people. We're keeping people, you know, not only are we keeping our own employees in work, but we're also helping other businesses. I mean, if you look at, um, I mean, obviously the government's, you know, maybe not necessarily like that, but, but actually I'll come back to government in a sec, cause there's other benefits, there's other things I like about government, but, but, you know, with bridge climb, for example, you know, if we can increase the number of people climbing the bridge and the ticket sales, whatever, you know, and, and when I go and visit them, knowing that we're helping run this business, you know, that's a, that's a rewarding feeling with government. It's probably a slightly different thing. You know, I mean, everybody knows that with government, things can get quite bureaucratic and things can run a bit slow. And what, what I think one of our strengths has always been is that we're pretty no nonsense and we're really about getting the job done. And I think when you're working with government, I think a lot of the time they appreciate that because I, I could just imagine other companies coming, other agencies coming in and really sort of adding to the bureaucracy to a degree. Whereas for us, we, we just are really, really no nonsense. We, we have good relationships with the, with the people we work with. We, we, we'll text each other, we'll t- you know, in government, we'll text each other, we'll call each other whatever time of day just to get the job done. And because we've delivered so much stuff in government, I think that's why we keep, you know, we've been able to make um, a good business just from government work. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, I hear a lot of engineering thinking process in your words. Like you want to get things done. You want to have a practical way. All these bureaucracy limitations and framing, it makes sense only in the beginning when the you know trust has to be earned. But after that, it doesn't make sense. You should like probably focus just on on what's important. And uh, yeah, I really like to hear that you also achieve that level of communication with them because we also work with some governments. Now for us, it's always very challenging experience. They still love us to feel uh, tens of of hundreds of forms. I don't know, like. They're they're endless. And these RFPs, like anytime I hear like, hey, Wallo, we need you to fill RFP. I was like, oh my God, (laughs) how can I delegate this? I mean, there is some business like with AI that would help you learn from your experience and, you know, fill the RFP with a high success rate. Probably it will be like in the very high demand. (laughs) That's the whole thing about it. It's it's a a two-edged sword with those things because on the one hand, Nobody wants to do all that paperwork and answer all those questions. But on the other hand, it's also a barrier for your competitors. Like if you're willing to put in the work and do it, then you're, you're part of a small pool of people, of companies that will do it. And, 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 if you, and if you win good work with government, you know, it can lead to more work and, and, you know, government and despite everything else, you know, the government's not going to run out of money and, uh, and, and stop and not pay you. So it's, yeah, they're, they're not a bad client. It's interesting thing. I think we can also have a, a side chat about that <laughs> if you'll have a free time because I'm really curious about to learn more about that part. Cool. So thank you very much for sharing this. I think we can move uh, safely to the course uh, stuff, which I am patient to talk about. So this ritual of you controlling that everything is in order, it's, it's part of what I called here reporting and communication. But before that, I have two sections that I would love to start from is client engagement, like quote generation and starting the work. An actual work execution, how the progress is tracked. So let's let's start with the client engagement. How do you guys start the job? Do you like do the quote like what tools do you use? Okay, so uh, you, you're actually asking you're actually probably asking um, about the area which is my personal passion. Actually, I love productivity tools, and we've we have used every tool out there. I mean, every project management tool I, we've used Jira, Clarison, um, Harvest. Microsoft Project, 
I don't know, all of, anyway. So let me take you back. So, so when it's a small quote, we use a, an online tool called Quotient App. It allows you to put an online quote through. Uh, the clients can approve or reject it online. Um, and I like it also because I can see when the clients actually open the quote. It gives you, gives you a notification. So I know, I know that they're looking at it. Or if they've never opened the quote, you know that they've never opened it as well. And I can send them a, a reminder. It's a very, very clean way of for, for getting um, a, a quote overline. The part of our process also is whatever the quote number is, that becomes the ID for the job um, that, that we use to track the job throughout. If it's a much bigger job, um, we'll actually um, split it. I'll do a, I'll do a proposal. Um, and we do quite nice proposals. Um, they're quite de- they're quite nicely designed. Um, I, I think in a way, you know, you're trying to attract, you're, you're trying to wow the customer. And I think we've heard many a time that <laughs> our proposal was like the most beautiful and fun to and fun to re- fun to read actually. And and what's um that which also just makes me think I I try one thing that I've kind of realized lately is I, as I mentioned I get bored with writing proposals, so I've tried to make it a little more fun for myself. And it's a little bit um. I don't know this. I don't know how this will sound, but I, I try. I even started putting jokes in my proposals, <laughs> like just just to make just to just to entertain the person because it's also boring um, for people to read. So, for example, we recently um, took over um, the website for Newcastle Airport, and so I designed everything in the proposal with airplanes throughout the proposal, and and I sp- to- and I told them that, that with us they'd have a smooth takeoff and landing, and you know, <laughs> and that that everything would run like a seven four seven. So I just, I, I just, I kind of just wanted to keep, I wanted to keep it fun. So with the proposal, if it's a big project and, and we do a proposal, then usually um, I will actually send the quote within um, a spreadsheet. And the reason I do that is because I itemize it into quite a lot of detail. And if things need to change, it's easier to update the spreadsheet. And clients like to see a full breakdown of everything. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. You, you mean in the spreadsheet? There's also you can put some qualitative metrics, like some how much time it would take and money, and when it would go yeah. over. Yeah. Risk factor. We put in the risk factor for each one. If if we had an, if we don't have enough information about a certain task, so we've got a one, two, three. If it's three, it actually turns red in the in the column and says high risk because we need more information. But the other nice thing about putting into the spreadsheet is then it's very easily to import into our project management system, which is Asana. Hmm, Nice. Yeah, because all the tasks are already there. What happens, I'm I'm giving away my whole process, maybe I'm going to too much detail here, but if if the client approves the project, then um, we also will send them out a contract. And and that's all done online as well. That's through, I do that through PandaDocs. So we have templates. So I actually keep, so I want I, I wanted to digitize all my contracts. So all our HR, our employment contracts, our hosting development, and our support contracts. And the nice thing about doing it through a format like PansDocs as well is that when I send someone, for example, a support contract, uh, at the end of it, I've actually got a whole bunch of options they can pick. They can say, like, we can say, would you like us to do site monitoring? Would you like us to do um, security scans. Would you like us to do this, that, that? And they can pick extra features, and it actually adds up the cost for them in the contract. Like a light basket, you just uh, do the upsell or straight from the quote. That's beautiful. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I so I put in the contract. We put a description of all the services that we can offer for the deal for the thing. And because it's a lot, because it's a, a live document, they can they can select options, and then whatever they select, that's you know that, those are their services. Also, with Quotient, as soon as they approve it, it goes straight into Zero, which is our accounting system. And if they approve our proposals, then we also put it straight. The first thing we do is we put everything we put everything straight into the accounting system. As soon as something is approved, it goes into draft mode into the accounting system. That way, we know 
how much money will be coming in in the future because it's already there. And also, you know, when I talk about how bad we were at business and how bad I was, I guarantee you there were probably dozens of projects in our first few years that we forgot to build. <laughs> happened. <laughs> well, in the beginning, I think it happens. Yeah, because there is not much tools that would let you track the invoice status, chase uh, for the payment, you know, all of this. But if you don't put it in, if you don't put it into the system and then you finish a project and someone and, and, it, and it's all in your head, <laughs> then it's very easy to, then it's, well, I, I build Shouldn't be easy, but I, I'm pretty, and I, I wouldn't know which ones we didn't build, but we would find often over time ago, wait, did we build this, that, or the other? And we hadn't. So the rule is as soon as something is approved, it goes straight into draft mode sitting in, um, sitting in zero in the council. And for the big projects, the, the zero, um, invoice idea that it generates, that becomes the unique idea actually for the project. So if I ever need to look up the bill for the project, it's the same identifier for the project as it is in, in zero. Some very helpful tips I got to share. Like I didn't expect that deep in-depth analysis because I think quote is extremely important. And you shared like amazing insights, not only just from the perspective of, you know, entire pipeline, process pipeline, but also like uh, focusing on the quote itself. This is, I think, probably a good, you know, share of the success you have uh, having this uh, creative approach. And the entire process pipeline, well, it's a lot. There's so many tools. I think it took some time to get into this, you know, yeah. cool cycle. That's cool. Also, how you mentioned that after uh, generating the spreadsheet, you can simply input it to Asana, and then you have like I don't know task scope that you can then assign to developers. They can start working on and tracking. So about this work execution that goes next, like, uh, do you guys track the time? Track only just the progress of the task? Like, how do you frame the delivery scope? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think your head's gonna start spinning. I, I, I just, just one, one sort of one, one, one note on this is that. Whenever somebody new starts at WebCoder, I always I always say to them, look, when you start, you're gonna see how many systems we use and you're gonna you're gonna say, you're gonna you're gonna tell me that we use way too many systems. I, I always say, don't judge, just wait a month. Wait, wait one month, and then after a month, you can tell me which system I can drop. And every time after a month, everybody everybody says, Yeah, I understand now what so it seems like a lot when I'm explaining it and when you and when you first see it, but actually it all makes sense. So on that note, with Asana, there is a, there's a fantastic, fantastic tool called EverHour, which is a plugin. Um, it's not, I wouldn't even call I wouldn't even call it a, it's a, it's actually, it's its own tool. It's a, um, sort of a, um, timesheet tool, but it, but what it does is that when you, when you install the plugin to your browser, it will create an overlay on top of Asana or on top of Jira, actually works with a whole bunch of other systems as well. It actually changes the Asana interface. So when you're on a task, you can just go start recording time. Record. You can. It's actually remark. It's incredible what it what it does. I mean, it just and it keeps getting better and better. The reporting on it's really good. But we we're and we're very strict with our timesheets. Like we, we all the employees know they have to do seven and a half hours a day. When we hire somebody, we say to them, look. The, the timesheets are very important to us because that's how we make money. We expect seven and a half hours a day worth of timesheets. Yeah, so the every hour is how we how they um, record the times. Now, the also um, what else do we do? Yeah, so uh, Asana itself is a project management tool, so you can you, you can manage the tasks from there. You can close them off as you go. You can also generate somewhat of a report to share with the client. But 
What we generally do with a client is we actually use another add-on to Asana, <laughs> which is called Instagant. It's a it's a Gantt chart tool, which is just a, it's a separate tool, but you log you can you can log in with your Asana login and um, you can view all your projects through uh, through Gantt charts. It just hooks up. If you make a change in Instagant, it's reflected in Asana and vice versa. And but the beauty the beauty of it is, is if you've got multiple projects on the go, you can actually create a portfolio in Instagant as well. And also, in the one feature that Instagant has, which is nice, is you can also say the percentage of the way through you are through a task, and it color and it will show you it will color in you know that percentage of the task. So when I when I show it to a client, the client can see, oh, you're fifty percent through this task, forty percent through that task, etc. So that that's quite neat. the The other thing I'd probably say just on the execution, um, particularly when you're working on bigger projects, is I think it's super super important to get the developers or whoever's working on the, and the designers, whoever's working on the project, to actually meet the client. Because if you don't meet the client, you're just working on a project and you're kind of separate from it. You don't have any relationship with it. And and when you meet the people that you're working for, it becomes much more personal. So we definitely, we try and hook that up. It doesn't even have to be in person. It can be via an online meeting, but in person actually is much more. For the first meeting, that should be in person. I think you, you just develop a much better um, relationship. I think the, it, it, um, than when you're doing it online. And the other thing I would also say is straight away, book in a repeating meeting, catch up with the client and the team, you know, just have a repeating meeting every week. Because you might have a project going on for months, but what I found is having that repeating meeting, meeting every week keeps everybody in the, in the, on track. Otherwise, people's priorities change. They won't look at yours. They won't look at it. It, remi- it just reminds everybody to come back. And, and it's also, it's embarrassing if you haven't done what you have to do and you come in a week later, and, you know, you have to say, oh, yeah, I haven't done this, I haven't done that. You, you're basically admitting to everybody on the project that you're holding up the project. So, you know, so that's another thing that we do. That's cool. What I catch from this description, like something from my own experiences, we worked with Asana a lot. They also have a Gantt chart. And I would say like they have one of the best Gantt charts I've ever seen, but it's definitely not as cool as you mentioned with this new feature, uh, the, the new features to me, at least in Instagram. And it's curious, like how they also managed to have a single sign-on. So you can simply just till one click, get some data out of it. So it's a pretty interesting insight about the reporting aspect. This is an interesting thing. I'm, I mean, we we are of course we are using like internal tool, but I'm curious like how else you can see like what people are working on in real time and avoid this confusion, you know, with uh, with admitting that you are behind the schedule and kind of like work in a supportive way. See like okay, this body is getting behind. Let's let's do something about that. Maybe jump on the call, see like if it's going to become a problem in a day or two, something like that. So uh, did you have such uh, issues like uh, with the current pipeline? Yeah. I actually think the, the number one tool in running a project is just speaking communications. I'm, I'm always amazed. I mean, even with my own team, unfortunately, uh, two, you know, two people can be sitting next to each other and not talking at all. And they, and they could actually be, and they, they could actually be working on things which are, you know, which are, even though they're working on the same project, they're building things in completely different ways, which then are not compatible. It always amazes. And it's, it's almost, I find that half the time my job is literally just being a person who sits between, between people. I'm, I'm just literally making sure that person A and person B know what the other person is doing. And that's often the client and, you know, oh, that can be us and the client or that can be 
to people internally, but so that so the number one issue is comms. In terms of um, missing or making sure that people are doing the right thing or et cetera, well, I mean, that's why we have that one hour catch up, you know, half an hour to one hour catch up every morning, because one of the project managers will say, well, why was, you know, why was this developer working on this when I asked him to be working on this? And we can see it in the timesheet. And so we can, so that's the beauty of the, if you do it every day, we catch, we're, we're catching it. But what we do is in, in ever hour, there's a feature called timeline as well. And timeline actually shows you all the tasks that are assigned for that date for the, for the team, because it automatically updates Asana anyway, it actually will update Asana again. So it's beautiful because Asana remains the source of truth. So if I change the timeline in ever hour, it'll update the timeline in Asana. The developers and, and designers and the rest of the team should, um, they should know what they're working on. And and if they're not working on what's in the timeline, then they should really raise it. It doesn't mean that they always do. At least it's something. At least it's something. And, and, and it gives us all it gives us all a better visibility, you know, of what ev- what everybody's doing. I guess one of the things is that we we've never really hired a lot of managers. For for a 20-person team, I mean there's there's only we've only got one dedicated project manager, actually. Everyone else kind of we've got a couple of guys who sort of ma- a couple of us who manage projects to a degree, but we've only got one person who's dedicated. So in a way, we've kind of built the tools to allow put a lot of power and and knowledge in the hands of one person. So having said that, having said that, I haven't I probably I've never really experimented with hiring more management stuff. Maybe, you know, who knows, maybe we, if I had have done that, we would be twice as big as we are. I, I, I'm not sure. So that's just how we've done it. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think this two-way sync that you have between these tools is also amazing. As you mentioned, like having a single source of trust is extremely important. From my experience, having more managers might actually get into more troubles. If you if you manage to have like one dedicated project manager for 20 people, that's amazing. I mean, it's he, he or she is probably performing really, really well at that because this is a lot of people. Well, I, I'm not saying that that one person's managing all the 20 people because, for example, my business partner is also the technical director and, and he he looks after really our biggest client. So he, he's he's managing it completely. So the project manager is not involved in it. He, my partner and another um, sort of account manager that we have works uh, on on that and I've seen developers as well. And, and, and I guess I, I take a couple of clients as well. So we kind of split, split it up. Yeah, but there's only one guy whose title is literally project manager in, in our office. We we shouldn't have we don't have any salespeople either. I'm the only I'm the only salesperson. It's very cool. I mean, it's it's optimal. I would say you you, you simply optimize the expenses and you love doing that stuff. And probably as I said before, it's one of the biggest uh, key of success. You have person that clients see first, they have trust in you, and you know probably you would be doing the best. <laughs> Just stay this role. Maybe I'm wrong, but you 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 are correct. But I I think that I think the going. The, the way everyone puts it is that even you should, you, you know, you're, you are always trying to delegate all your tasks, really. And, and even if people are doing it not as well as you, it's still more efficient than me trying to do everything, which I, I do agree with. But look, you know, I, I think we are, I've, I've been heading down that road for a long time where I, where I am trying to delegate and I do delegate as much as I can. And from that point of view, I guess another thing that we do is, uh, well, I've been trying to do it. Ha- I can't say it's been amazing yet, but writing down all of our um, standard operating procedures, documenting all of that so that anybody can pick it up and do it. So we do have a lot of stuff documented and that's actually in OneNote and SharePoint uh, as well. Um, we are also a Microsoft silver partner. We do SharePoint work as well. And Office 365, I mean, that's a whole conversation itself, but what's happening around the Microsoft tools, which is just phenomenal at the moment. Um Particularly now that they're bringing um, all the the AI stuff into it as well, but 
that would be a whole conversation in itself. Yeah, I like augmented that something that's already exists. I, I'm also curious to see how it's going to develop further. And we've been tapping into reporting part of the agenda, and there is a communication aspect that we covered. But since you mentioned you guys work like um, in the office, I think the main source of communication has become like in-person communication, right? And when you mentioned like two people sitting together and not like next to each other and not speaking, I mean, if there are software engineers reflecting from my own experience, it's totally fine. I mean, when you start coding, you just get into different places, like nobody around you. So it, it, it makes total sense. I mean, I just uh, recollected my memories about that time when I was working on some feature. I mean, yeah, hi, and that's it. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> that's cool. But I have to say, even though... Generally speaking, tech people aren't aren't the biggest talkers. And actually, we have we so what what we have once a month. Once a month, I ask everybody to come into the office, and we actually do like presentations for everybody in the office. So I'll 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 tell, talk everyone through all the projects that we've been working on. We'll talk about new technologies. We'll show the we'll show the projects to everybody. That, um, maybe let every per, every person sort of show off the the work that they've been doing as well. We buy lunch for the office. Yeah. So what was it? Where I'm trying to think where I was headed with that one. <laughs> yeah, the communication. I think the, what you tapped into is also culture. Uh, it's, yeah. it's not about the tool, but it's yeah, it's something that I would say something that I would consider a luxury of having a you know working on site. When you see people connect with them, even though like yeah, tech tech people kind of isolated, but it's beautiful when you can see people faces. You know, uh, it's it's just amazing. Well, it, well, it, it it is funny now because now now when everyone's in the office, it's too noisy, and I can't actually concentrate on the work. <laughs> but um, you're right about the culture, and in fact, um, the interesting the interesting phenomenon that we have found is that in terms of the people who've stayed at the company and left the company, we've found it harder to keep new people. The old people, the older people, have stayed because they all know each other. We we are a team. But new people, being remote, it's actually been harder to get the new people to become friends with the rest of the team, and especially if they're if especially if they don't even live locally, and they're the people who tend to not stay. So it's a bit, it is a little bit of a challenge, but it is it is the new world. I mean, there's nothing you can um, you just got we all need we all need to adapt. Well, I wanted to share something that might maybe work for you. It worked for us because we are all remote. So to get to know new people, we uh, used to run some online gaming together. Like if they're not in the online gaming, like you know more competitive stuff, like I don't know Counter Strike, Dota, any other games. We uh, had some game when you go to browser, someone's trying to draw. And you try to guess what he's trying to draw. Uh, to draw. It's it, like it's, games like that are very simple, but they might uh, might be very interesting. And I found it's also very important to pull myself and, and top management team out of it, so people feel they feel comfy, you know. Because if there is a top management and if you draw something, you know, nasty, <laughs> you probably would feel judged. But the, the, this is how I think they create a better bond, like feel relaxed in this environment, get to know each other, chat in the meanwhile. So this is something that might might work, and there is a lot of nice tools about that. Yeah, I, I, actually, there was um, one thing I, I did once, and I, I only did it once, but I should do it again. So I don't, I don't know if you've heard of Kahoot, K A H O O T. My, my my kids use it at school. They uh, they use it to create little um, trivia games. Um, where you know you you can ask a que- you can you can write the question and the answers like a survey type thing. You can say you know what how old how old is Sasha? You know, and you can put question. You can put A B C D. One twenty, two forty, whatever. And when I did the, I did a Kahoot. I actually, I, I, wrote, I created all the questions, but I, I wrote questions that were about all of the staff members. So, which country is this person from? Or I, don't, I, don't, I can't remember what all the questions were. But it, in a way, it allowed all the people to sort of learn a little bit about each of the other team members as well. 
That's really cool. I would I would definitely run this trivia with my team in some pub in the in the Friday night. That would be I think the pinnacle of you know getting to know each other, getting people relaxed, and having fun together. It's, it's amazing. Thanks, thanks for sharing. I, I'll actually note it myself. <laughs> so uh, getting back to the business part, while we probably covered pretty well reporting and communication, another aspect is invoice and payments. Since you mentioned Zero, I think this has become the central tool like, to generate invoice, track the invoice statuses. This is something that I'm going to ask right now, probably uh, not too good uh, to ask because it's kind of maybe secret information, but I'll, I'll still make it up. So do you guys do upfront payments or post payments? I think it's very important to many other entrepreneurs to know because I've, I've heard this question way too often addressing to my uh, business, like what I'm doing. And I, I got to share straight uh, right ahead, like we do upfront payments. This is like absolutely important. New clients, probably not 100%. Like 50% now, 50% when it's done. But after that, always 100% upfront of time. And uh, just to, to not go too far, I'll just explain why for us it's important because we can pay salaries in time and do not disrupt our cash flow. That's one of the main reasons. So how do you do it? Yeah, I, 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 I don't think you have to explain why you take cash <laughs> front. I think it's pretty obvious. <laughs> so yeah, so for, for us, it's generally 20, 30, 30, 20. We take 20% upfront. We take 30% at the end of the design phase, then another 30% at the end of the build, build when, it, when, when we're going to testing, and the last 20% when we go live. Hmm, that's interesting. So total risk, I would say, from my experience, is this last 30%, because like when you deliver, this is like a final chapter when, the, when you get a, a receive a response. So I, I really like it. It's not like 50%. I, I had 50%, but clients somehow just cling, clinch to this <laughs> number. In the beginning. Well, I, I look. Um, I, I look. I don't know what the value of the projects as well, but I mean, if you if you're doing a project which is a couple hundred thousand dollars, let's say, then billing should. Oh, bigger one. Yeah, mm. you. Uh, I'm bill, billing a hundred thousand dollars for fifty percent upfront. Probably is pushing the friendship. We've got one. We've got we've got one client who um who only pays at the end, which is a bit annoying to be honest. But well, luckily we only have the one. <laughs> they they changed their policy. It wasn't to do with us. It's their, they're a big global company. I, I can't argue with them. If, if that's their policy, that's their policy. But but general, generally speaking, yeah, most people are pretty happy. 20, 30, 30, 20, yeah. No, that's a small size. Yeah, I, I didn't put into perspective the size of the project. Probably this milestone by milestone basis makes more sense for the larger projects. Yeah, but for smaller ones. Anyway, cool. The Another item is accountability and data transparency, which I think we covered with this, our tracking tool, GAN timeline. I'm curious, like, since you mentioned you do this daily sorry regular controls on checking the timesheets do you also collect the statistical and historical data somewhere so you can do like bigger analysis like quarter annual like see how much you do overspending or something like that uh, kind of probably not as formally as that so even even within ever hour it's got a whole bunch of reports so i can actually see how profitable each employee is how profitable each pro we can we can actually see even in asana with this ever hour plugin i can see how profitable and how yeah and how much we've gone over or under on a pro on a project as well directly from the asana project as well so those that's what i look at mostly um you know from the ever hour asana point of view and then on the other hand we also just going back to the the building in zero we br we break up when we break up the cost of a project we break it into the different line items so there'll be design development deployment support etc and so i love I, maybe it's cuz the only it's the only report i can understand but the profit and loss report in in zero um, allows me to see by line item, you know, how much money we're generating, you know, for all the different services that we offer. 
With the profit and loss, though, I use two. Di- I really use two different versions of it. I use the version which shows me how much the profit and loss for the current month is. But I like what I like to see is I like to see the profit and loss for this far into the year compared to the last five years. At this point, last year and the year before, how much profit had we made, and how much have we made this year? If last year by July thirty we were more profitable than now, then I'm going. Oh, what's wrong? What's changed? And the one, th- the other thing is. I stopped looking at revenue a long time ago. I don't care. So the, you know, a friend of mine said a saying, he said, um, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity. And it's true. And it's so funny when I'm listening to a lot of these business podcasts and people are saying, yeah, we're turning over $15 million or whatever. And then you hear later in the podcast, yeah, but we're in the red. And I'm going, okay, well, what good is that? I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather turn over $500,000 but be profitable. I'm, I mean, obviously, unless you're, inve- unless you're investing all your money back in. I'm only interested in the profit. So I, I, only, I only target that. Uh, and, I, and that's why I'm comparing year on year the profit. And, you know, and I've, I've got a target for the year that I'm trying to achieve. And I know that target for the year, I split it over the 12 months. So I know how much profit we need to make each month to hit the target. I just, I, I, you need to break it down that much. Otherwise, you just don't hit it. That's very detailed. I, I like it. I, I also know like PL becomes like, to me, it's more accountant data, but it's pretty raw and it might really give a good understanding, especially if it's categorized well. There is a seasonality, I think, in the agency works. Sometimes you can see ups and downs, but, but depending on the time of the year, if it's like Christmas, businesses are just more like unwinding. Sure. I'll not look at, 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 and so from that point of view, that's why it's also important. I I've also mapped out for the last five years how much profit we make each month over the last five years. So if one month is slow, if one month is quiet, I go, well, how much did we make in that month last year? How much did we make in that month the year before? Now, oh, okay, this is just, it's always this month. I mean, look, obviously some months are busier than others. Always, you historically, the end of the financial year, in the past, we've made a quarter of our profit in the last month of the financial year. You know, that's possible. Everyone just threw money at it. There's a downside to that as well, because then you start the next financial year and you're in credit, you, you owe so much work, but you've been paid. So for half a year, you're not making any money. Yeah, this is another thing I would I would cover about like this, I would say, inequal and in, imbalanced fact that you uh, report at a specific date, you know, in absolute timeline, you know, income year, which, you know, I know many companies try to pay ahead of time. Yeah, I think, I think we don't have much time here, but there's a lot of things to optimize here. And sometimes if you have a spike, and if it's just before the end of the year, you might get more in trouble. And uh, speaking of the profit, I just like agree like about the revenue. It doesn't make sense to me when I see like Uber is doing like big numbers, like what they get away with, like red doesn't make sense to me. It's the mo- most important what you get to in the end of the day in your pocket back home, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that's very very but, insightful. Thing. But 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 yeah, I mean, look, it, it is true. Whenever whenever the, whenever people, I'm talking about the finances with the business, you can always tell a story behind it. You can go, okay, well, I, I know that you know we're behind a little bit, but there's this much money coming in, or if someone asks me how well we're doing, I can paint a really, really good story and go, "Yeah, we're doing really, really well." Or I can, or I can be, and I can give the reasons why we're doing well. But I can also look at the same report and go, "Actually, yeah, it's okay. We're not, do- we're not, we're not doing so, so well." I'm not. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of concrete examples of. I mean, the, the example, the example that you that we just gave, like in you know July or June. Sorry, in June, we have built. So we we've had we had a June a few years ago where we built so much in June that the year looked amazing, which you would think, wow, you know, it's terrific. Let's you know, let's celebrate. But then if you think about it, you've been paid. But now what? Now I'm going to be working. I'm going to be I'm going to be working that off for the next six months. So it's not really so it's, you know, really that ex, it's not really that exciting. So you and there's all there's always two version two ways to 
to paint the story. Yeah, that's very important message here. You're totally right. They're going to be data considered at different angles. Accessibility to this data and understanding, forecasting the proper future is uh, probably the, one of the main keys of success. So, and and, and, and also and also being honest about it. You, like you, you want you want to be brutally honest about it because you're only because it's, it's money in your pocket that you you you're only you're only fooling yourself if you if you're kind of reading it, everything in, in a very optimistic way. I try and sort of keep a little bit of pessimism about it because it makes me it, it motivates me to work harder. In, in, in fact, one of the I think one of the unfortunate things when you're running a business and most of our billing really takes place at the beginning of each month. There are many months where for three weeks I'm stressed, going, "Are we going to make money? Are we, you know?" And then I'm so I'm I'm actually unhappy for three weeks. But then when we do the billing, ah, it was all good. And then you're happy for a couple. You're happy for a couple of days, and then you go back to being worried worried again for for the next month. But on that note, which that's one of the reasons why I actually started doing forecasting as well. So what I do is I have a spreadsheet. And I go month by month, and I go here are all the things that I expect to build in this month. And so I, so I've got a rough idea earlier in the month how much I think we're going to build. And I think that's important because I, because otherwise you go you're nervous. You're kind of going, well, what money, <laughs> what's coming in? I have no idea. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the agency business, it's always a game of like supply and demand. So you either need to fire someone if you don't have enough clients, or you have too much clients or job you can't actually do. So it's all about staying balanced. And I think pushing you towards more pessimistic on the scale, optimistic to uh, pessimistic, is a w- proper way to do. Because maybe maybe I'm wrong. Like from my experience, it's better to be a little bit understuffed than overstuffed. Because in the end of the day, it, it's going to be reflected heavily on your expenses. Shit, yeah, totally makes sense. I, 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 so I just thought of another example though of uh, of the of, the, of, of painting it two ways. Like uh, for example, last last June for us wasn't as profitable as other Junes, right? Yeah. But so you, so I could say, oh, it was it wasn't so you know it wasn't the best June we've had. But on another hand, actually, that June happened to have three pay runs in it. Normally, we do two pay runs in a month. So we had to do we had to do three pay runs in that month because it because it happened to because the first pay run happened to hit on the first of June. So we managed to fit two weeks later than two weeks later. So we had to make a lot more money to make a profit. We had to, yeah we had to make substantial we had to make like a third more money or fear or even fifty percent more money depending on the calculation to just to break even. That's what I'm saying. Like you can look at it two two different ways. That's why that's one that's one of the tough things about running a business. It's kind of like it's like a bit of an emotional roller coaster from that point of view. Yeah, you're totally right. The control and part of this is like definitely someone got to uh, take care about that. And by the way, I'm tapping into final item in the agenda about the autonomy. Uh, you mentioned already that there is a there is a timesheet control and aspect of it. But there is an aspect of uh, running some other control and uh, like CFO operations. I'm curious, like, do you actually try to get autonomy in this process? Like you mentioned, you you would want to. Uh, delegate as much uh, to stay profitable company that grows year to year. Do you have any uh, processes or tools that might help you do that? Like, have you ever thought about maybe automating the process of reviewing timesheets? So probably it's, it's done by some by your team uh, themselves, like without you. I, I'm talking mostly like you as a director centric to the point when. Have you ever thought about having a chance to say like, okay, today I'm not going to do this. I let 
my team doing so because I, I fully trust them. Maybe maybe business would run not as great as with me doing some stuff, but it will not you know deteriorate and die. I'm totally for automating as much as possible. I don't feel as though the timesheets because every every time entry each day has a story behind it, and sometimes you know there's no way the AI can know that story. For example, someone might log time for a particular task, and I know all the I know we kind of told that client you know that we wouldn't charge them for that because of something you know it was related to a problem they had or whatever and so i just i, I think it's worth it's worth the time to go through uh, and check the times manually even though it is manual i don't think that part can be automated the path everything that can be automated we would but the problem, the problem with the problem with automating too much stuff is, I think people start ignoring it if they can. So you know, we, we send automatic alerts if people didn't do the timesheets. Then it will, you know, they'll get an email saying you didn't do your timesheets. But if, if you start getting that email every day, you just ignore it. Uh, that's what happens. So unfortunately, I think there are certain things which um, still require a manual intervention. I, on another note, though, if you look at what's happening with AI, I know, for example, Asana in itself is adding more and more AI and they've got, they've got, a, they've got some, they've got some features coming out, which I haven't seen yet. I've kind of signed up for, but I think they, they're related to, they'll give you, uh, alerts about tasks that are being ignored or something that should be a priority. It might even reorder the tasks into the best possible timeline for you, stuff like that. I'm not quite sure how far they're going to take it, but yeah, there's certainly, there's certainly a lot of AI. There's a lot of AI stuff, particularly in the Office 365 world, which I'm using all the time, which blows my mind. Um, I had to, I actually had to write a job description uh, yesterday for a, for a role and I sh- I just plugged into ChatGPT actually, and I used half of it at least of, of what it spat out. Didn't have to write it, but um, it, but the I love the automated responses. And actually, what, the, probably the, even though it's not a perfect system yet, one the biggest time saver and probably the biggest tip I, I, I could have for anybody now is to use. I, I know it, with your Ukrainian accent, you might it might be a bit tricky, but the voice dictation because I voice the I, I don't write. I don't, I'm, I'm a very slow and terrible typist and I make a lot of spelling mistakes. I dictate everything. Oh, that's interesting. I actually, well, we're doing something right now in the work layer. I just tapping into something I probably shouldn't say right now, but we're doing the AI assistant in the project management tool when you simply do like summary as long as you have a conversation and it takes it to an action. It's not like giving you a summary text. No, it shows you what action uh, this system understands to do inside the project management tool. So you only review the game plan, that's how we call it. So I think you're, you're just hitting to the nail about this part about dictation. I think it's a future. I just see the biggest problem is the precision. Getting back to autonomy, it also makes sense to review the, the process. I mean, I hardly imagine project management tool taking over, at least like in the five years or 10 years ahead, like saying like, hey, dude, just go relax, drink some wine or beer, and uh, let me let me handle that stuff. You know, because I know your business processes, and I can construct a timeline, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I've seen some experiments with this AI-driven project management tool. These decisions are not always uh, good, and um, you know. Uh, digestible for the team, so I don't think like well, uh, sure, but 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 I mean that's that's if you're talking about the AI tool just doing everything for you. But I, I think it's more that it's coming up with the suggestions, and then it's up to you to respond back saying, yeah, that makes sense. And it's and because, given that it's got all the data that you know, it can just review all of your data in one go. It's definitely going to pick up stuff that we're not going to. I mean, if I look at it, in fact, if we looked at it today, there were there were 167 open projects in our Asana. I guarantee you that we don't have 167 projects running right now. So 
it could easily clean a lot of that stuff up. A lot of the tasks. I mean, I know I know I could run reports and probably do it, but I mean, there's no good reason why just through voice commands and whatever, you could talk to me and say, you know, nobody's touched this task. It got created three years ago. Nobody's touched it. Do you want me to delete it? I go, yeah, sure, delete. Do you know what I mean? Like, a, I'd have to go looking for it. Or uh, Yeah, that makes, that makes total sense. You're right. Like someone who is like, you know, software, it's easy. They have access to the data and it's very specific. While people have a lot of cognitive load and, you know, living this hard life. <laughs> so that's, that totally makes sense to utilize this power. All right. So I, I don't want to go to into this sidetrack. I think it's like making the mind of uh, engineers and entrepreneurs very anxious about what AI can do. And we'll see uh, this future unfolding soon. I Look, think I, we've seen it in action. And I think, I think as good as it all is, it's nowhere near it's nowhere near taking over any developers or designers' jobs. Yeah, no way. Nah. Uh, yeah, I think it's also about the future where we all would we love to live in. So I, I even think these, not dark, just masters behind the AI, they would love to see it helping people and ha having everyone happy, not like, you know, confronting each other. But this is probably a good topic for another day to discuss like where it might go from different uh, standpoints. I, I'm... We have learned so much on this interview. I personally got a lot of insights. So thank you very much, Sasha, for your time. I'm absolutely delighted to have you on this podcast. Before ending, I just want to ask you some question, very last but a little bit weird question. I think just for unwinding, unwinding tell us something that is not on LinkedIn profile if, if people would love to learn more about you and what you do. I wanted to be a guitar player, songwriter. And I, I, that's what I was kind of doing before I got into IT. And when it, I guess I got into IT because I realized I need to start making a living. I kind of re-picked it up. I, did, I sort of didn't really touch it for a while. I re-picked it up recently. Uh, I bought a guitar during COVID. I joined like an adult rock band function thing, um, which, uh, which I was, I was, I've kind of taken a pause, but I'll probably go back to it. But, but we rehearsed once a week and we, we kind of did a performance on that. And I, I guess probably the interesting outcome of me doing all that is that my daughter is actually very, very musical. She's an amazing singer and she's writing songs now as well. She's 16. She's been the lead in the school musicals, etc. And um, so, yeah, so as a family, we're, we're all very into music. Oh, you can have your own band of your own. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, well, we get too excited. You haven't, you haven't heard us. <laughs> but, uh, but it's still fun to spend the, the time together, especially if everyone loves music. I mean, look, I... <laughs> I, I do love it, and um, and really, I guess in a way, part of the work-life balance for me is I, I need to be able to. It's it is kind of like um, meditation, playing. I think you said that before as well. It, re it really is like uh, it takes the sh it takes the stress off a little bit. And I guess just and another thing on that on that note, I the other thing that came out of COVID was that I during co. I'm always, I'm very obviously technical, so I've always been into digital stuff, and I, I probably had one of the first iPads and Kindles, etc. But I actually went back to reading paper books because I'm just so much in front of screens. I want, I just wanted something that wasn't digital, and, and I read paper books every night. And I, and I, what I started doing is I, I was going through all the classic books. I was reading like Don Quixote and Frankenstein and whatever, Catcher in the Rye, reading the paper books, and I, and I, and it's kind of, it's actually a little bit of a test for me. Because a lot of people say, a lot of people you speak to these days say, oh, I can't sit and read a book. I can't focus. A lot of people say that, right? Yeah. And for me, that's the test. If I can't sit and read a book and I can't focus, then my balance, then then my life, there's something wrong. I need to I need to redress the balance because you need you need to be able to you need to be able to relax enough that you can read a book. If you can't do that, 
I don't know. Maybe maybe you need to meditate or something because yeah. Speaking of concentration, this is like really interesting bonus inside from you. I mean, yeah, I think people do some some stuff like with yoga and other things, and they try to teach themselves because concentration is absolutely essential in the business. You gotta be focusing, especially if you want to run the company, right? Like you gotta be someone who can consider it as a final frontier, and you you gotta have this skill. Well, you don't you don't want to you don't want to burn you don't want to burn out as well. I mean, if you if if it's all work 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 and and you don't relax. Then I just think eventually you'll uh, you'll you'll run out of energy. Yeah, that also makes sense. All right, cool. That was a great interview. Thank you very much for your time, Sasha, on this podcast. And yeah, I, I thank you. Good to speak to you. I, I wish you a great day ahead. <laughs> okay, thanks. You too. Cheers. See you. Bye.